Well, good morning, welcome. It's just so good to be with you. And thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. And we, along with millions of Christians around the world, we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was um, celebrates Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And it's that week-long period of his um, journey to the cross. And on Palm Sunday, he enters the city of Jerusalem in a sense of uh, triumph with a sense of joy and expectation and uh, the resounding um, celebration of the people around him. And so it's with that in mind that we're going to be sharing this morning. I want to read from Luke chapter 19 and verses um, 29 uh, to 40. And we read this. Um, After Jesus had said this, he went ahead of them and going up to Jerusalem, he uh, approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples ahead of him, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, um, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. Those who were sent ahead, and they went and found it, just as they were told. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks, even on the road. And when he came near to the place where the road goes down um, from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke these disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he began to weep over it. The religious establishment at the time tried to cancel Jesus. We read there in verse 39, the Pharisees getting indignant, angry. Uh, They didn't like what they were hearing, the people celebrating, calling Jesus the king. They were worried about the Romans and uh, they didn't agree with what was being said, nor the way it was being said outside of the temple. You didn't carry on religion outside the temple. It was for the synagogue or the temple, not in the streets. And so they looked to cancel everything that Jesus stood for, uh, even to the point where they would ultimately take his life just a week later. Jesus says to them, if you do this, if we do this, or if we call them to to be cancelled, he says, even the stones will cry out. So that's a, a rather strange thing, almost strange thing to say. But such is, is it that the heavens, the whole of creation, we understand, declare the glory of God. The heavens and creation, Psalm 19 verse 1 speaks about even the very heavens would speak about the glory of God. Some Bible scholars say that this maybe was a prophetic utterance where Jesus was speaking about the the stones of the very temple that would be destroyed in the future and that they would cry out to testify who Jesus truly was that he what he predicted you know we're living in a cancel culture today it's more and more coming to the fore universities cancelling people tv channels cancelling people um, uh, um, 
film companies cancelling people for a view or something that you say. And um, becoming a much more intolerant world for differing, uh, differing opinions. And, uh, but you can't cancel Jesus. Jesus is showing this um, in this entry to Jerusalem. He overcomes the world. He actually said, you'll have trouble, but be encouraged. I have overcome the world. Jesus went on to, sh to share with the disciples. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You know, even death can't cancel Jesus. And so this morning, I just feel that there are three things I'm going to suggest that will help you and I cry out in an era of a cancel culture. And I'll explain what I mean by that in the next few moments. But I've entitled this message, um, The Stones Cry Out. And uh, how can we cry out in the midst of a cancel culture? Because believe you me, that, that's what the church will face and is exceedingly facing more and more and will grow in the, the months and the years ahead. And uh, we're going to have to have courage uh, to testify that Jesus is alive and he's at Lord and he's good. First thing is this, uh, we need purpose. We need a sense of purpose if you're going to cry out against a council culture. In verses 37 to 38, we read of the people had a glimpse. It's as if the people had a glimpse of who Jesus truly was. And on that day, um, they, they were calling out uh, on that occasion, uh, declaring Jesus as the king, being excited. It's as if of that for one moment, they had this picture, this glimpse of for who Jesus really was. He came and fulfilled Zechariah, the, uh, the prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9, and as if the people, just for a moment, had a glimpse of Jesus, the King, the Messiah. And this is the one occasion that Jesus didn't say, no, no, don't, don't worship, you know, don't praise me. And it's interesting that in the Gospel accounts, the, what's called the Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry, in all the Gospel accounts, shows people worshipping, loving, exalting, praising um, identifying Jesus and giving him worship and awe and he, Jesus not saying no don't do that and so the, they record this in a quite a spectacular way uh, this is there for us to see to this very day and uh, it's, it's an exciting they had an exciting glimpse a moment of seeing who Jesus was but you know glimpses can be fleeting and in a few days later uh, many people would be saying crucify him not everyone, but some of them will be running away. There'll be a whole group of people saying the same, some of those people that said, had a glimpse of who he was and said he's king, now are gonna say crucify him. And others will be saying, wow, look at your amazing miracles, we're worshiping you. Because of your miracles, they'll be running away and hiding from him. Because, you know, a glimpse can be fleeting. And a glimpse doesn't give you the full picture. When you glimpse something, and so that we find that uh, the people were left perplexed that, you know, they, they, if he's the king, why has he not come to overthrow Roman rule? If he's the king, why hasn't he come to overthrow the religious leaders that, that, that rule over us? And yet he came riding on a donkey and a, a king would come on a war horse to overthrow. And Jesus was showing that he was a humble king, powerful, but humble. And, you know, a glimpse doesn't give you the full picture. Uh, and so they had their own prejudices. They became perplexed because they had their own ideas. And yet if they gazed a bit longer, they get the full picture of who Jesus was truly was. And so we are called to gaze, not just glimpse. And from this, this moment, we learn this one thing, that something, and it's this, 
but we're called to gaze on him, not just glimpse upon him. And uh, a gaze gives perspective. And that's where we have to come with purpose. If we want perspective, we need to gaze and we'll need purpose. We have to come with intention to, to see him in our lives. Uh, you know, gaze gives perspective, a full sense of perspective in our lives. You know, Jesus taught his disciples, when you read the whole New Testament, not just this one story, he taught the disciples to follow him, um, to remain in him. So he says, remain or abide in me. In other words, relate, abide remain in me. Um, he, he said to them on other occasions, follow me. In other words, keep me in your sight. Pick up your cross. In other words, keep in step. So there's this idea of remain, abide, follow, keep in step. That takes a sense of intention. That's a gaze and that's what gives us perspective. On another occasion he said, you've got to build your life on, on what I teach. It's like a rock. I am the rock. And if you obey this, you, 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 will, you will live. And so we're called uh, to um, purpose, live purposefully, to gaze, and that takes intention, and that takes a sense of purpose. The second thing that we see is that we need to a release of passion. And uh, in verse 37, it says, they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. There's a real sense of passion there. Declaring him, save us. The Lord saves, and they, they had loud voice with a one cry. There's a real sense of passion, and this is what was upsetting the Pharisees. You know, people were throwing cloaks and palms. There was joy. There was celebration, and um, this is what upset them. You know, I love the writing of A.W. Tozer, a, a, a great man and writer, a man of the word and a man of the spirit. He said this, wherever you find a man of God you will also find an overwhelming passion for God, not a curiosity about God, but a deep passion to experience God in all his fullness. Passion, a real desire. I, I, I say passion is a deep down, heartfelt desire, conviction for God. That's why that, there's this real, it's not just enthusiasm. When you have passion, you will be enthusiastic, but enthusiasm only goes a certain depth. Passion is the real depth, which has an outworking of enthusiasm, but it's much deeper. And it's a deep down heartfelt desire or conviction. You know, that sense of conviction feeds courage and it later releases the cry that we'll talk about in a moment. If passion is to prosper, our love must be kept fresh. And you can have enthusiasm for the moment, and that's what happened on that day. But if we're to know passion, something that's deeper, then our love must be kept fresh. You know, uh, a fire, in the old days, if you were made of fire, you'd have to clean out the grate, put on the kindling, light, and then keep coming back and putting on coal or wood or whatever it was. And so we have to be prepared. You know, passion to prosper, our hearts have to be kept fresh. Our love has to be kept fresh. So we need to clear the, the dust in our hearts, as it were, rekindle, put on the kindling, uh, open our hearts to the Holy Spirit so he can set us aflame and, and keep putting on the coal, as it were, in our desire, our relationship with Jesus, if we're going to know a continued sense of passion. And that's what sees the heartbeat of God. But it, passion leads a sense of conviction and gives us courage. Conviction and courage then will fuel the cry. And that's the last thing that I want to say. 
today is that uh, we're to fuel our cry. We're called to praise. The third and final thing is this. We're called to praise. <clears throat> and uh, as I was preparing this and looking at this, you know, I just really felt sort of the Holy Spirit says, you've got to find your own cry, Adrian. You're going to need courage in the days ahead. And it's up to you and I to find your own cry, your, your relationship with Jesus, my relationship with God. And uh, on that day, it says, they said, Hosanna, which means save us. God save, save today. There was a real cry, crying out to God, uh, calling upon God, but also declaring his goodness over the land as well. And you and I are called to a cry. And that cry, I would say this, a cry comes from his countenance. There can be a momentary enthusiasm, but if there is to be a long-term cry, and, I, and I, I'm speaking about a, a sense of worship, but a sense of declaration, uh, my witness to Jesus, um, it's going to come from his countenance, um, seeing him, seeing Jesus for who he is. I love the chorus line of uh, so, some of the songs that we sing, I will worship you, Jesus, for who you are, not for just what you do, but who you are. And this is what I'm getting at, that, that our cry, our praise comes from his countenance, comes from his face, comes from his presence, comes from our relationship day to day with Jesus Christ, not knowing about him, but actually knowing him. I believe that the cross was God's cry for creation. He sends his only beloved to die and rise again. He speaks out of all creation that I love you. Our cry is I love you. And then we tell the world that Jesus lives. That's the cry, that's what I'm getting at. And it comes from his countenance. His countenance breeds confidence and confidence gives courage. And let me tell you, there is a council culture that seeks to snuff out the cry not only of the church, but on anything that doesn't agree with that council culture, whatever that agenda is. You know, Jesus' cry is humble, sacrificial, authentic, pure, gracious, powerful. It's not standing on a judgmental soapbox saying to people, this is what you should do, turn or burn. It's, it's nothing like that, but it carries humility, sacrifice, authentic, it's pure, it's gracious, but it's incredibly powerful, sustainable. And as we conclude today, you know, we're called to release our cry. On that day, there was a momentary cry, but we're called to sustainable cry, a, a journey, speaking over the nation, uh, honouring who Jesus is, letting the world know that Jesus lives without pointing the finger at people, but doing it with love and humility. And Palm Sunday teaches us to cry out and not lose heart, to cry over the nation with courage. And that courage comes from the very countenance of Jesus himself. Let's pray together. Pray that you be blessed, encouraged in your own and finding your own cry as it were, as you stand to live your life in courage for the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Amen. I've had questions without answers I'm no sorry